we did our first face-to-face training in 14 months last week. Oh, wow. Huge. Wait. Which was... A, I thought you did face-to-face with uh, some people recently. No, so we, so we did a session last s- September in a hotel. But I mean, sorry, in our office, in our actual pink elephant office. Oh, but you did mean it. you went to a place to do one. No, no, as in that was... Sorry, I explained that terribly. We did, did. training in our offices for the first time ah. since March 2020. Okay, okay. I had it a bit of backwards there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It I, was... could, I think I remembered a few stories of you going places and doing things. So no, all right, all right. So that's a, that's a big deal for the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of times last year, for example, when they were like, a client was like, hey, come out to our hotel and film us being clean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, sure. Yeah. And then other times when they said, hey, can we do a session in a hotel? Yeah. Because at that point it was allowed. And we're like, yeah, sure. But this was the first one back in the office Whoa. after 14 months. And we actually had to Were have... There, was there hand sanitizer everywhere? Oh, uh, hand sanitizer. There was arrows. There were one-way signs. There were different toilets for different people. It was all sorts of crazy. And... <laughs> Do you usually all use one communal toilet altogether? Just one <laughs> mega loo. You've all well, got to store up your poops till everybody's ready. Stop. I mean, the, the main issue was that when we did courses pre-pandemic, it was just like, right, there's the toilet. On with the course. Aye, <laughs> whereas yeah. now, whereas now it was okay. It's like planning, gentlemen. You are using the toilet here, and ladies, you go to the one downstairs, and trainers will use the other one in a different office. Yeah. So that was that was basically how it went, and it worked. You know, it was it was weird in that we had to have a meeting about the training because we'd kind of forgotten how to do it. Oh yeah. Because it's all been virtual. That will happen. But uh, it went really, really well. And we all had individual sandwich bags as well, or individual lunch bags. It was like school all over again. It's cool, but you're expecting... Except this time I didn't have to eat it up under the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) You think I'm kidding? No, no, I don't think you're kidding. I'm just laughing because you did a funny joke. Um, um, But you're expecting more of a mix of proper in-person training and proper online training from now, right? Yeah, so so for example, I suspect that the public bodies who we work with will continue to do virtual stuff until... They got the Congo. Until, you know, the, the nightclubs are back open. It was the Gambia. <laughs> yes, we did do stuff in the Gambia. They're unfortunately not a Scottish public body, but um, <laughs> there'll be some businesses, including the ones in the Gambia who we worked with, who will continue to do virtual training. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure if Ryanair fly to the Gambia at the moment anyway. <laughs> but yeah, true. <laughs> they definitely don't fly over certain countries to get there. <laughs> no, they don't. If we do, we may get be- uh, we may get uh, diverted to Belarus. But anyway, uh, jump in the gun. <laughs> Bad pun. Let's. Uh, I suspect what will happen is it will be yeah the, the government bodies will stay until like we are totally utterly clear of the pandemic, and who knows when that will be. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I would say a, a good a good indicator will be when nightclubs reopen. That's when. You're, you can go in free and clear, restriction free, do what you want, yeah. stow about the garage yeah. until 3am. That's when Aye. they'll come back. But until then, it will be yeah. Zoom, Microsoft Teams, the joys. And then you'll have the private companies uh, and the other people, like just random entrepreneurs who want to be good with media stuff, who will be quite happy to do it in person. Because as you say, yeah. there's a mix of people who say, homeworking is fun, but we do actually quite like the office environment. 
and and face to face training counts because it's so much better in person. Well, yeah, you you can do a lot more with it. I think if you're doing media training, I think I can make the connect the dots there for why in person has a bit of a bonus. Well, it's also the fact. I mean, your your whole world is focused on computer screens all day. Yes, but it's tough to maintain engagement with an audience for seven hours on a Zoom call. No, that's, like, that's tough. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> well, it pays the bills. So I, I, don't, I don't even like a, I don't like a Zoom call with two people. It's also little things like rapport building is difficult virtually. Yeah. It's doable, but it's just not the same. And intimidating people is, is never so easy online. So when you need to slap someone down and be like, no, <laughs> it's easier to do it in person. How about you? How's your work been? For me, work's been work's been weird for me again. It's uh, mixed hours. I've not had as much as I need. Uh, the ah. first the first uh, tax date is rapidly approaching, and it I need is. to I need to be earning an equivalent amount to last year. Who I am not, so I need to I need to <laughs> bash out a bunch of extra work for the next couple of months. Uh, how, Ooh, it's nervous. How do you do that in your industry? Do you just have to like cold call people and be like, "Hey, your internet website thing is not looking very pristine. Let me sheen it up for you." I don't do websites any anymore, really. That's not worth the effort. It's just so much stress and hassle, and nobody understands anything. And then I'm really bad at explaining things. So now I've just got to just try and find people who might want um, a media project of any kind, and be like, "Hey, hi, I can help." Um, fortunately, the main client I've got, Jonathan Boy, you know the that that person is related to both of us. Um, that streamer. Pretty pre- is pretty open to me just making up work. Oh, nice! So I can be like, "Hey, this graphic looks bad. I'm gonna redo it." All right, it's done. Took me this long. All right, I'm gonna put out some extra videos on other media platforms rather than just a normal one. All right, they're done. Extra hours. But the problem for me is that my routine is so set in just doing the one yep. thing for that client per day that it's really hard for my brain to kick into doing more than one thing for that client per day instead of like the one thing and then bouncing to other clients and stuff like that. Do, do you have a business name? Have you come up with like a trendy cool name? No, no, I'm just Soul, soul Trader. Soul Trader okay. Soul Trader James. I'm sure there probably is a business out there called yeah. Soul Trader James or Soul Trader James, I should say. Let's uh, let's Google it right now. <laughs> okay. Live Google. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering actually, if I... Actually, actually, that was maybe just like that. Maybe they're in the, the, the reaping business. <laughs> Or in the fish business. They may well be, <laughs> you know, working business. working in the fish markets in Peterhead. But uh, <laughs> a far cry from that. Here we are. Seesaw Parade. Episode 251. Flinging about fish puns and the kind of stuff that really keeps an audience coming back for more. I'm Colin and he's James. I am. Sorry, he's Soul Trader James. Hi. <laughs> yes, Reaper of Hades. Oh, uh, nice. I've been playing that game recently. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do. Or or watch James play games on his stream, which you can on twitch.tv slash fairjame. Wow, yeah, you can. You can get in touch with the show at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or seesawparade at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who listened to episode 250. I got a lot of feedback uh, from lots of unexpected places, which is uh, which is excellent. I really do appreciate that. You know, I got facts. Got a, I got a letter in the post. I'm kidding. But uh, I did actually get a lot of people. <laughs> I, would, I would love to somehow receive a fax. That would be so cool. I think you but get them through the post these days. Can you get faxes through the post? Who processes them? I think that's how they would notify you. Yeah, oh. genuinely. 
Interesting, because I, I miss, I remember fax machines. It was always exciting getting that thing going. Okay, well, anyway, for the height those... of technology, for <laughs> absolutely, a, I guess a decade or several for those, or for the NHS. Okay, for those of you who did get in touch I'm with the show, just gonna keep going, Carl. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> For those of you who got in touch with Cease Operate, thank you very much. Uh, Tom was saying the podcast is a great way for me to keep up with the news back home, hey. keeping me in the loop, enjoying the discussion around all of it. So he's now listened to two episodes in a row wow. after missing out the previous 249. So better late than ever, Tom. Excellent to have your, your company. You're still earlier than most of the world. <laughs> Indeed you are, because of course we are. Still less popular than fascism, but yep. more popular than Jada Franson, which I will hold on to Huzzah. for the rest of time. Yes. And uh, also thank you to uh, Izzy, who got in touch as well, which she did at Seesaw Parade, commenting on the fact that she has listened to every single episode. Yeah, painful stuff. And uh, was asking, is the fact that I've listened to every episode thus far something to be proud of? In all honesty, I think the podcast is great. I do look forward to listening every week. So thank you, Izzy. I appreciate that very much. Very and uh, I'm not sure when you'll hear this because you are actually moving house this week and that will be a riot. Good luck. Okay, oh, indeed. If it's anything like my move, that was a disaster. <laughs> uh, one final shout out to Ross Cray, oh. who uh, messaged me last week to say he was on episode 248 and he was very excited to catch up to the big 250. Well, I trust Ross that by the time you listen to it, you enjoyed it. You had a great time because we certainly did. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can at Seesaw Parade. Uh, disagree, agree, comment on anything we talk about for the next X amount of minutes, depending on how much I edit out the show. Your thoughts and uh, your reviews as well, which we'll get to later on. Very much appreciated. So, James, let's crack on. Let's talk about someone who I believe is probably being mentioned for the first time in the history of Seesaw Parade. What? Martin Bashir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who did you think I was going to say? I, I forgot about the document. I was on a different tab for a little bit. <laughs> okay. You ready, Martin? <laughs> Come on out. <laughs> okay, so this is the news that, according to uh, an inquiry... On an interview from 26 years ago, the BBC yep. believes it fell short of the high standards of integrity and transparency. Oh, wow. What, what, a, what a strong, strong phrase. Yeah, so this is to do with the interview of Princess Diana in 1995 by the journalist Martin Bashir, who in this inquiry is uh, found to have acted in a deceitful way and faked documents in a bid to get the interview in the first place. Yes. The inquiry has then found that the BBC's own probe the following year into what happened was woefully ineffective. Yes. Indeed. So in the aftermath of this, uh, Princes William and Harry both came out and said very strongly worded things about the beep. <laughs> Boris Johnson was also... Uh, a bit disappointed in anti-Beeb and both the BBC themselves and Martin Bashir have apologised. We've had a couple of resignations from former Secretary Generals of the BBC because mainly, the first one, they rehired Martin Bashir a few years ago oh. and the second one was nothing was done at the time. Yeah. Despite the fact, James, that uh, it, it did turn out that Bashir had faked bank documents 
to insinuate that Princess Diana was being followed or stalked oh. and was being paid. This this chap who who he was alleging was stalking her was being paid by a newspaper. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he, he showed this to Diana's brother, who is uh, called Earl Spencer, and that then led eventually to a clear the air interview with the BBC, which, as we've now learned, twenty six years later, was based on on lies. Yeah, the interview, the interview, the the seeds of the interview were were lies, these fake documents, but the interview itself didn't wasn't really like talking about them. It was just like no trying to get rid of the need for private investigators or anything like that stalkers according to some uh, yeah. uh, words i don't know am, am i surprised that the bbc well hold on L- let me ask let me ask let's phrase it into a question first because you're right essentially the interview was why have people follow me or try to uncover all my private life when i can just speak to the bbc and make it clear i'll just say it yeah and some of the things that were said really seeded a lot of yep further discussion and pr- and pr- also problems but but it was clear in the air of course for example the interview led to the i want to be queen of people's hearts rather than n- n- uh, you know she she said she she didn't think she'd be queen and also the line about there's three people in this marriage mm-hmm. which was a, a reference to camilla mm-hmm. so so let me ask then james this is 26 years after the fact yeah what do you make of the fact that first of all these are the bbc's findings but also the the aftermath and the outrage that we saw from basically everyone. Well, I I'm not surprised that there's outrage, even though everybody knew that basically everything surrounding Diana from the media, by and large, in general, from BBC to tabloids, was just scandal. Right? They were just causing all the problems. Yeah. So I think it's having another element of that confirmed, and not really apologized for. <laughs> I don't consider what the BBC have been saying much of an apology. Um, there, there is, of course, going to be a, a, a fresh outrage because everybody's feelings about it that have been stewing for almost uh, three decades are, are renewed. So, yeah, everybody's free to say what they want. The BBC made a big mistake. They tried to hide their big mistake and they're now trying to just say, oh, yeah, we, we made an error of judgment and people are quitting now and it's all okay. This this contributed to some some significant uh, difficulties for a whole lot of people, uh, and I think any apologies need to be worded far more strongly than have been. Yeah, I would agree, and also the fact that I mean, to me, times have changed, and I'm unsurprised by the fact that this inquiry found the 1996 inquiry wasn't up to scratch because yeah. It it was a different era, it was a different time, and reading between the lines of this inquiry, it was very much uh, an amuerta of, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know something's not right here, we know that Martin was a bit sneaky, mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk about it, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. And also in 2021, where we are now seeing a much bigger focus on honesty, and as the BBC have said there, integrity... And transparency. Yeah. Then uh, yeah, uh, fair enough. Like the findings of the inquiry, fine. Yeah. If, if that's what they found. That's what they found. But it's a little bit too late. I think that that honesty and integrity and stuff only covers certain subjects. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to see this same effort put into reporting on things like the Conservative government and things like specific foreign affairs and all these all these things that aren't really reported on and. and there aren't. There's nothing like this going on for the BBC or 
just deliberately causing a scandal and hiding their lies. But I wouldn't really say that they're being very honest about a lot of things, even to this day, them and media by and large. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm unsure how much more you can say about this story other than Martin Bashir did a very bad thing. The BBC covered it up. And uh, now, 26 years later, they've said, well, we got this one wrong. Yeah. uh, What I thought was interesting was the fact that everyone and their dog was was then ready to stick their oar in and uh, say nasty things about the BBC. Yes. Where, like, uh, some of it was warranted. But again, it felt like everyone just had a cheap pop because they realized they could get the headlines off themselves, you know, in some people's cases. Oh, yeah. And onto the Beep instead. There were definitely some interested parties in uh, destabilizing the BBC and like I'm not for destabilizing the BBC. I'm not for getting rid of it. I'm for I'm for enforcing it to be actually honest. <laughs> if we've got a public broadcaster, there needs to be legitimate methods to keep it honest about everything, not just the royal family these days or this and that, and not even just, not even all the royal family. Like they're just picking their favorites in the royal family, hiding the scandal for some and creating scandal for others to this day. I don't. We need we need a better uh, organization of uh, of this rather than like destabilizing. Which of course, like people like Boris are very keen on destabilizing any non privately held media. One more question before we move on. Martin Bashir, in his apology for faking these documents, said he remained immensely proud of the interview. Can you be immensely proud of something you have deceived your way to get? I think he's using his words there pretty cleverly which i guess isn't too surprising from slimy media types wherein he's saying he's proud i'm one of those types he's hello he's proud of the interview he's he's trying to separate it from the process of getting the interview but i i think you're right in conflating the two right how you how you reach the ability to do the interview is a part of that project you cannot just be like yeah i'm proud of the half of the project that wasn't unethical and i'm really happy about that one Right, that doesn't work. You can't. No, you're not. If you're not proud of the whole the whole system, you're not proud of it. Full stop. Okay, let's go to the other big story, which is uh, dominating today, which is Monday. This is the news that uh, Western countries, and particularly the EU, have condemned Belarus for diverting a mm-hmm. plane mm-hmm. which was flying over its territory, so they could arrest an opposition journalist. So EU leaders are uh, set to discuss their response uh, to what the uh, the European Union's executive has called a hijacking. Wait. Did you say journalist? Yes. And political leader. Okay, that too. So this was, uh, yeah, also the US State Department has described this as a shocking act. But Belarus essentially scrambled a fighter jet, forced a Ryanair plane, which was bound for uh, Lithuania, to land in Minsk. No, but was it not bound for Greece? Uh, no, no, it was going from Greece. It was going from Athens to Lithuania. Oh, I got this backwards. I need to open the article right now. And uh, Belarus is is bordering with Lithuania. The plane was actually closer to its destination than it was to the city. But anyway, the uh, the pilots or the uh, the staff on board were told by Belarusian airspace there was a bomb threat. Mm. Fighter jet was scrambled, plane lands, and then police boarded the plane and took Roman Protasevich away when passengers disembarked. The 26-year-old was uh, was flying back uh, to from Vilnius, from Athens, and seven hours later, the plane arrived go, yeah. in Lithuania uh, without Mr. Protasevich. So he, according to passengers, 
told uh, told people who were on the plane that he was facing the death penalty because Belarus is the only European country that still executes prisoners. Yes. Uh, state media say President Lukashenko had personally given the order for the move. Uh, James, what do you make of all this? Because this, to me, uh, we'll talk about the discussion hmm. and the uh, the blowback of this from Western leaders in a second. But in terms of this actual act, what's your instant reaction? Hmm. Sounds a little bit like somebody in the state wanted to do some some plain piracy ah. and uh, uh, commandeer the whole thing for their own needs. Uh, it's, um, there's no credible anything <laughs> about, this, about the way this has gone down. It is so transparent. And I think that transparency is why it's led to this immediate reaction from uh, basically all of Europe and even further afield. Um, it, this is very clearly somebody whose power is not stable, trying to wield whatever they have left of their power to get rid of rivals and keep their interests strong. Um, it's not looking good for, for Belarus in general. And this is just another indicator that we've got somebody who is doing dictatorial things Uh to further their own goal and and continue their own uh, political career, I guess. There's, there's, there's a couple of points I want to raise. The first one is that the political leadership in Belarus are already under massive EU sanctions, including the fact they cannot leave the country yes. due to uh, various mm-hmm. nefarious things they have done. Various nefarious, good name for a band. And uh, so, so that to me is, is the fact, sorry, that was very glib. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, also not really that great a name for a band. <laughs> so there are these sanctions in Belarus already, and despite the fact that these are in place, they still thought, you know what? We know this guy is on the plane. Yeah. Where they got that info from, I don't know. They clearly were keeping tabs on him. And despite all this, they've still scrambled a fighter jet, got the guy off a plane, arrested him. And if it's anything like what we see in Russia, that is maybe the last you'll hear of Mr. Protasevich, which is horrendous. Well, yeah, but we hope we hope not. We hope that this global pressure will make right. them want to show that they are keeping him in good health. And but, uh, I think they're relying on something like Russia backing them and hoping that Russia will be like, hey, don't bully, are we, are we bro here? Right. Um, because Russia would get away with this easy peasy, but hey, it's just Belarus. As they we'll have, have to see what happens with uh, Mr. Navalny. Yes. So my my overall thought then is they've done this despite the fact they've already been sanctioned heavily, because they think, meh, it doesn't really matter. Nothing will change. It's just words from the EU. They've already sanctioned us. What else are they going to do? Yes. And secondly, if Russia can do it, and Russia are our big pals, and we're basically doing something that's straight out of the Putin playbook then they've got her back. Yeah, but I don't actually see what this does for them. Like, I'm not sure the tactics for them behind this decision. I don't see what they've gained in any way. Um, Maybe it's a goal of if we chop the head off the opposition right now, no other heads will emerge. Because, of course, that always works. There is no other opposition because everybody will be super scared. But, yeah, as you say, it's not really a tactic that is guaranteed to land. It works here and there in the past, but oftentimes it, it just leads to outrage and even more riots and even more, even less stability. Do you expect there will be any further sanctions or punishment from the EU? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty 
I'm pretty sure that the EU will have a backbone in this instance. They're already saying that there will be consequences. Uh, countries are already calling for even tighter restrictions on like how travel works in the EU, calling for zero flights to be going anywhere near Belarus uh, in in general. Okay. And I think even the UK has called this a a fake. I think even even Dominic Rab has come out to be like they they lied. So if Dominic Rab can call it call it a lie, then I expect there can be some str- some strength in response. Right, James, we talked about this last week, and the story remains, well, basically the same. Glasgow is now the only Scottish area in level three COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, on Friday, I believe, confirmed that the uh, city region is indeed staying in this heightened level of uh, restrictions because of the concern over rising cases. But Murray has been downgraded to uh, level two, so he's now free to do what he wants. (laughs) And then East Renfrewshire... Actually, actually. East Renfrewshire, which now has the second highest number of cases, surprisingly stayed in level two. Everyone was expecting it to go up and join Glasgow, top of the charts, but instead Sturgeon said, hold on a second, East Wren only recorded 17 cases yesterday and as a proportion, it's still pretty small, whereas Glasgow is closer to 150. The numbers aren't really comparable. Yeah, It's an order of magnitude. Like Glasgow is clearly slipping up. And uh, one of the big, big elements of this to me, another thing that calls back to previous weeks, is that we can confirm that not all Scottish football teams have a problem with their fans causing actual riots <laughs> and uh, spreading the virus upon winning things because the most successful team in Scottish football this year yep. won their second trophy and I didn't see any riots. So well done to St. Johnston and the great area uh, <laughs> and all the, all the wonderful calm and celebratory fans Indeed. for not spreading a virus. They were dancing on the streets of Johnston, certainly. But like distant, <laughs> right? So, so this to me, James is, and we've had a lot of uh, feedback from people in the uh, Glasgow business sector and the hospitality, food and drink, saying this is now nine months of restrictions in Glasgow. Is there actually any end in sight? And Hamza Youssef, who's the the new Scottish Health Secretary, said that uh, it, yes, he's been shifted. He has. He has been <laughs> shifted. Yeah, yeah, an, an excellent word. There was a there was a reshuffling, in in the cabinet. We actually could uh, talk about that after. Yeah, we yeah, if, if we really want to put people to sleep. But I completely agree in that. Uh, yeah, shifting. And he uh, was saying that if the intensive care numbers and hospital numbers remain steady. Yeah, as as in cases are still coming in, but these numbers are staying where they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then actually, that may well be a way out for Glasgow because. As we've seen today, actually, Nicola Sturgeon tweeted that if you're between 18 to 29, which both of us are... Yeah, for now. For, for the time being, you can actually sign up to, to get your, your vaccine now, which... Yeah, you can. That one surprised me. It, it did, but it, it's also, you know, there's still a lot of 30-somethings waiting for their appointments. Yeah. However, to me, it's a sign that they've realised, right, we need to get this, particularly in the south side of Glasgow, under control. Here's one way of doing it. Indeed, and uh, hopefully it will it will pay off, and hopefully it will work. I am glad that they are taking their time easing the lockdown in this instance. 
and I hope they wait long enough and encourage the vaccines to go to the right places. I am being self-sacrificial and I have not. I have not got in touch. I'm, I'm just going to keep isolating. I'm going to let other people who actually do stuff take vaccines first off. <laughs> but you do stuff. You should get one. I'll wait. I can wait. I'm easy. I'm easy waiting. Everybody else actually has like jobs that require going outdoors and actually has like social lives that require going outdoors. I think they are more important than little me who never interacts with anybody but the mailman every now and then. And even that is at a distance these days because the Royal Mail have figured out how to do dropping a parcel. All right, well, let's move on. Let's uh, head to more serious matters. Israel and Palestine, uh, that has rumbled on. A lot's happened in the last week. Let's start with the the British government giving its strongest statement yet in support of Israel, saying the country has a legitimate right to defend itself. So this was uh, last Wednesday. And and I think what they're saying there is that the best defense is a good, strong, murderful offense. Absolutely. There are now, uh, as of, I mean, particularly this article, which is probably out of date, over 200 deaths in Gaza, including 63 children. 63 kids. Which... It- it's disgusting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so this was the uh, sorry, the Middle East minister James Cleverly, who made only a, a brief mention. Sorry, I was just saying, I believe his specific wording is that everything Israel has been doing, or not, I'm not. I said specific, but paraphrase. I believe his wording was something along the lines of everything Israel is doing has been proportionate, which is mind meltingly stupid. Yes, that's what he said. That is just a blatant lie right out of the UK government. What on earth? Have you looked at the numbers? How do you proportionately kill more people <laughs> and more civilians? What? What we're beginning to see, James, is a lot of profile pieces in, I would say, more mainstream media. So, for example, there's one here on Dr. Ayman Abu Alouf, who, without warning... Key words. Uh, he and 12 members of his family in Palestine, were killed uh, in an Israeli airstrike. Yeah. He was the head of uh, internal medicine at the main hospital in Palestine. So he, his mother, father, wife, 17-year-old son, 12-year-old daughter, all murdered by this airstrike. And apparently this is proportionate. Actually, yeah. And one surviving, one surviving child yep. in the entire family. Three generations, bar one who is in intensive care, killed... And all Israel's got to say is that they were targeting an underground Hamas base yes. with no evidence and no proof, yet again, lying about evidence and proof. And they didn't even warn the civilians in the area. And I'm not saying it would be okay if they did warn them. I think saying that they warned them is is just the worst reason to bomb a place. <laughs> I don't think that I'd be happy if my home got bombed because I got an hour's notice to leave. And here they are, not even warning the families anymore. They are clearly just indiscriminately targeting people. And this cannot be described as proportionate. But yet the UK government stances that it is. It continues to boggle the mind that people defend Israel here. Uh, this one in particular, the military said they had struck an underground military structure belonging to Hamas uh, beneath the street. Causing the foundations of other buildings to collapse. Right. So saying that the uh, the foundations have uh, collapsed, which caused the civilian housing above them to collapse, causing unintended casualties. 
yeah. unintended casualties. I don't believe that. Wow. There's no way I believe no, uh, that. No, I don't. Like they are intending to do harm <laughs> to civilians. You, and it's been the case for it's been no this is not like a turnaround all of a sudden Israel are doing this they've been they've been doing sneaky civilian killing m- 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 missions and things for 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 years yep. this is not news um and they and they still get just casual soft support from from um governments worldwide i think russia came out to say that they would not tolerate any more civilian deaths well done, Russia. I mean, how about <laughs> is, you do that for yourselves too? Indeed, but it's it's a bad day when Russia are putting out the most measured response of all the nations. Yeah, but we're seeing a bad day. We're seeing Egypt and Jordan and a bunch of other countries being more invested in peace talks again as now a ceasefire has been um, declared. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how long this holds. But the ceasefire is is now entering its fourth day. As you say, Egyptian mediators have been uh, shuttling between Israel and the Gaza Strip, trying to sustain yeah, this. Israel are allowing food and medicine back into Gaza, <laughs> right? I wonder which side is the oppressor when one of them controls the flow of food and medicine. Hmm. Indeed. So Israel has actually, um, just to remind you, has blockaded Gaza since yes. 2007. And is occupying the West Bank yep. since forever. Uh, the United Nations have long been asking Israel to stop, but again, that's... Uh, yeah, completely futile. And like we got to wonder about what their goal of this was because they suddenly kicked it all off again, and it was Israel's uh, aggression that kicked this off. And immediately after the ceasefire, they did a repeat of it. I'm, I'm thinking, hoping to just kindle it right away. And the only thing I can think of is thinking about some of the headlines that have come out about the leader of Israel over the past year, where he's getting investigated for fraud, where his power is weakening, and he's struggling to um, find people to cooperate with him so they can have a coalition government and all, the, and all this stuff. And one of the only ways to solidify your power is to start a war. And hey... Suddenly, they're they're having strikes again, and there's war again. It's too suspicious. Before we go on, we should mention that if you're being anti-Semitic in response to any of this stuff, you're you're a trash human being. Um, there are there are far more people of Jewish descent worldwide that are not for the strikes, and there are that are for the strikes and things like that. This is not a race thing, so don't be an anti-Semite, please. Okay, well, let's move on then uh, to Pretty Patel, who this week joined officers from uh, the National Crime Agency during uh, raids in East London. She was pictured in various press outlets wearing her big Home Secretary jacket mm, as mm-hmm. uh, police officers pulled people out of buildings. Uh, this one I thought was was a very interesting and bizarre photo op it, yeah. in that her, she actually, her, the jacket she's wearing actually has like the I don't I don't want to say like a name sticker, but you know the ones when you like meet people for the first time. It's got we it's got we yeah. tag. Yeah, it's like yeah. Hello, my name is Home Secretary. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, but it, it is. What did you think of this, James? Particularly the the photo op rather than the raids themselves. I mean, I mean, yeah. You know what? If if people are doing human trafficking and and human smuggling, sure thing, crack down. I think it's very strange for somebody as busy as the Home Secretary to take the time out of their day to go join one and stand there looking awkward just for a photo op. I think it is very telling of the motives of the current government that the priority for them is to get a picture and to make themselves look good 
to people who don't like immigration and stuff like that. It's a, This is a tell, for sure. I agree. I was considering more the optics of why they did this, and it's simply for how it looks. It's so they can yeah. show, here's uh, Shitty Chattel doing her strong thing and viewing like a hawk these immigration rage and she's coming for you you better watch out yeah, better. she and her jacket they're on the way yes and I, yeah you're right it's just they're it's just they're trying to signal something to to try and get a image of themselves to to improve but this is not an image that i like i don't want hostile anything from the government i want them to be a step away from the hostility in this instance like even if a raid is justified you don't want the government to be sat there getting a photo opportunity that's that's slimy it's it's the same as when like i see even like to go even a step closer when i see the pictures of like the police raids where they've like got themselves photoed in front of a bunch of drugs and guns and stuff i'm like yeah. all right good the drugs and guns are off the illegal market I don't like the picture. It's scummy. <laughs> Stop trying to aggrandize thine self. Well, it's almost like the, it, but it, there's there's like a sexiness behind this. Being like, oh, I can't believe all the guns and drugs were in Cambus Lang. That's yeah. just round the corner. Yeah, and it is. It's that. It's that. They're they're trying to show their strength. They show that they're effective and show this and that. But like the way it goes about, I'm always just. It makes me cringe. Indeed. Okay, let's move on. A couple more stories before we uh, shuffle on to lighter matters let's start with uh, italy who have launched an investigation into the cause of a cable car accident at the weekend that killed 14 people so this was horrendous this uh, this cable car which fell about 70 feet into the side of uh, motorone mountain oh. in northern italy uh, rescue officials said it appeared that a cable had snapped an emergency brake failed it hit the ground and then it rolled so 13 people died at the scene, uh, including a two-year-old child. Uh, two others were taken to hospital where one later died. Uh, there were, again, whole families mm-hmm. wiped out here. This is... <sighs> these things, we, we, they come up on the podcast and they're always difficult to talk about. But this one, particularly for those of us who, and we talk about this every time, you're like, you think, oh, that's terrible. I've been on a cable car before. Oh, I yeah, always no. wondered. But that's, it's important. That. And so I did see some of those posts. I, th- I think there is an empathy that is important, and um, where you can take a take a take a disaster and apply it to your own life because it makes it grounded. It doesn't make it some faraway thing. And then when you hear about the next new health and safety m- uh, measures or the new uh, precautions that are being invested in, it's like, yep, yep. all right, that's worth it because it can affect me. So it's important for people to feel like something can affect them, even if it is a wee bit self centered. Um, and this is just a this is just a horrible story, and it's such a shame. But it's it's going to lead to an investigation about why the why it failed, why the backup safeties failed, why nothing worked, and why it happened. And then from there, we can have other people be more safe in the future. And it's a shame that it takes the loss of life to lead to. improved safety. Okay, one final story. Let's go to Japan, where the country's second largest city of Osaka is, uh, in their words, buckling under the weight of a new wave of coronavirus infections running out of hospital beds and ventilators, as doctors warn of a system collapse in the country and have advised against holding the Olympics, despite the fact that uh, on a recent visit, I want to say the head of the IOC insisted they would go ahead, even if... The vast oh, majority, oh. the overwhelming majority of the country have said, 
No, please do not. Please, no. So, so James, this is yeah. an interesting one in that Japan, certainly in the early days, was held up as a bastion of here's how you handle a pandemic. So what? Yes, indeed. So this is a fourth wave now in Japan. What, what's, what are they getting so drastically wrong? Yeah, well, we're saying fourth wave pretty generously when the first two waves were okay. very, very small in terms of numbers compared to what gets classified as a wave in the UK. Like, the, the UK's low points would have been a disastrous wave right. based off the Japanese metrics. Um, but the story in general is that because they didn't have any kind of hard lockdowns or any kind of experience of early virus working together and all that, they had the fatigue of the pandemic before they had their their waves. So before any of the cities had major disasters, and, and this wave is, is specifically in one city, and it is passing. We are a wee bit late with this news. It's on the other, we're on the decline in terms of infections while the hospitalization rate is, is at what you'd expect two weeks later. Um, and because they were already at that fatigued point, there wasn't so much of an effort made for like closing down businesses. The government's passing out, much like the UK government's passing out, like, um, um, sorry, the government's passing out vouchers for restaurants and stuff like that, uh-huh. uh, just loosely encouraging people to stay at home. So there was the weak response that we have seen in other countries, which is especially worrying in a in Japan, where they've got such a aging population, their 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 population is very top heavy. Yeah, um, yeah. But again, even their fourth wave numbers, it's it's not huge compared to other countries. There are some very scary numbers. The hospital systems are overwhelmed, um, and they're only just now getting their first max max um, their first mass vaccination uh, centers set up, barely in time for the supposed Olympic games that are going to happen. So. It is a, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, and it's a shame, uh, once again, that there is yet another country or yet more cities that are not handling outbreaks in the moment they occur. They've only got two months or so until the Olympics. Let's uh, look into our crystal balls. Oh. Does the Olympics go ahead? They they need to cancel it. It's too, it's too high a risk. And you can't... Like, I guess if it, if it's just the if it's just the um, organizers and athletes, it feels a little bit less high risk. But there is just so much to the Olympics. It feels like a, a like a little city all of its own. So you can't surely you can't have this mass global travel to go compete and soak in such close quarters of a whole bunch of people and not expect right. some kind of an outbreak. Just on that note, before we move on. In Glasgow today, it was announced that 12,000 fans will be allowed into the stadiums for the games that are happening at Hamden. Ah. I think there's a couple of games in June. Mm-hmm. And also there will be a fan zone at Glasgow Green, which will be allowed 6,000 people a day. Oh, So this to me is like a big test. I mean, that's outside. Yes. Both, well, sorry, both of them are outside. And both are going to be ticket- uh, highly or completely ticketed. Yes, controlled. So this to me is like a, a, a big test of... Mm-hmm. How does this work? Because that will be the biggest gathering of people in 18 months. Yeah, and, and uh, it's important to take precautionary first steps. And it's like those numbers sound big, but in a pretty big stadium, they can be handled safely. But my main concern is just all of the the bottlenecks in all of these spaces, even at, even in such a place as a Glasgow Green. It's only got so many entrances and exits, Yeah, and those are bottlenecks. There's a lot of people passing through. It might not be... Uh, shoulder to shoulder but over the course of a day it's still a lot of people 
Um, so it is always concerning to me seeing these uh, seeing these plans, and I just hope that they have got uh, the right courses in mind to try and make things uh, smooth and keep people apart and keep people people safe and all this stuff. James, our final section, we move on to entertainment. We have a trailer to start with and then uh, on to what we've been watching and then some bizarre art news. <laughs> but let's start with yes. Eternals, which is the first teaser trailer for the new Marvel movie. It comes out in November, stars the likes of Angelina Jolie, uh, Salma Hayek. We also have oh, yeah. a couple of big names from Game of Thrones land, so... Kit Harrington and also that Scottish guy whose name escapes me. <laughs> Rob Stark and Jon Snow reunited on the big screen. Rob Stark, that's the that's his character's name, but what the what's the actor's I name? forgot it too. I thought it was funny uh. that you dodged dodged remembering it for ten <laughs> seconds, but it still didn't come to you. I love that you managed to tell I was doing that. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> listen to the trailer and I will look it up. We have watched guided we have helped them progress and seen them accomplish wonders throughout the years we have never interfered until now his name is underwhelming i'll be honest it is very forgettable I, I was like, oh, who's who's uh, the actor for Rob Stark playing? I read the cast Richard list. Richard Madden. I, yeah, Richard Madden. I read the cast list and who they were playing. And I was like, where's Rob Stark? And it was the second one on the list. And I just, his name is just so forgettable. <laughs> so so let's talk about the trailer first. Uh, in fact, no, let's talk about the, the cast first. Because as you say, uh, Richard Madden, to me, is the lead in this, certainly based on the trailer and the way that people are framed, yes, it seems to me that Richard Madden, along with Gemma Chan, is playing the lead here. Yeah, although there is a human character, so I suspect there's a sneaky co-lead in Kit Harrington, right? But his story is too spoilery for a trailer. So, so uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I would say yeah. from the trailer, when we saw everyone in their costumes, everyone looked very superhero-y, apart from Kit Harrington, who looked like he just walked out of Cotswolds. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he doesn't look like an Eternal, and that's because he isn't one. Okay, oh, okay. right. In this cast as well, we also have Brian Tyree Henry, who is an excellent, big fan of his. He's in Widows, most notably. Kumail Nanjiani, who's been in everything and is best known for comedy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also the likes of uh, Harish Patel and uh, Don Lee, Barry Keoghan as well. Yes. So, so, James, let's talk about the trailer. Big cast. What did you think? They definitely went outside to shoot this film. <laughs> there was a lot of of uh, chewing the scenery of the world, and I appreciate it. I think it clearly shows that there's actually some filmmaker interests in the film. So I liked the the way it was shot. It was beautiful. All the characters looked great. There was that they felt like a real uh, family of of outcasts in a sense because there is this diverse range of characters. Uh, but there was still this familiarity between them displayed in the trailer. However, I'm not too familiar with them uh, as Eternals. So the trailer had really nothing that, that gave me the hook that you needed a trailer. It was just kind of like, yeah. here's some pretty shots of things. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I like that. I might watch it, but I don't know why. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I, I felt the trailer lacked a bit of impetus, but perhaps as a teaser, that's what it was aiming for. It just wanted to give you a taste of what it looked like and what it felt like. Yeah. Which is which is fine, but yeah, I kind of watched and thought, eh. Yeah. You know, there's there have been other trailers which I thought, I need to go and see that right now, whereas this was very much, uh, okay, it kind of looks like Marvel are doing something a little bit more atmospheric. And that's fine. Yeah, and it's good to see them trying to change things up and do trailers in different ways because their trailers are so often just very spoiler heavy. Yes. It's good to see them put one out that doesn't feel like it's got really any spoilers. Um, I think it's not quite got the hook that that you need. So maybe there's a mix of like you need one or two little spoilers in your Marvel trailers, just not the full film. Um, but I expect the next one will, will be a bit more spoilery. We might actually see more of Kit Harrington and stuff like that. Um, delve into more of what what the actual story is about uh, and they definitely remember to actually remind us that it's a Marvel trailer in the post credit scene of the trailer. I was just about to say this. So this is, uh, if you go and watch it, of course, with every single one of these Marvel trailers, they give you the two minutes, they give you the title, and then there's a final 10-second snippet to send you home happy. And in classic Marvel fashion, it's just another bad joke. It's just like, do you remember this film we made? (laughs) Here's a reference to make sure you're not losing this thread here. We are still in the Marvel Universe, and look, here's a joke to show you. Yeah, um... And I'm okay with it. It's gonna. There. It's reminding us that the Marvel humor is often very clunky, um, but passable at best yep. or at worst, rather. Yep. Um, it, I'm still a fan of this d- direction that this new stage of Marvel is going, wherein things do feel a bit different. We've got more uh, diverse stories and styles, and I hope that they actually do. And it isn't just another gray mesh of superhero stuff. Um, and there is some interest in knowing. One, how on earth they say they've never interfered in humanity all along when it looks like they were interfering quite often. And two, yep. what what causes them to cross the line into what they actually consider to be interfering and how all the all these different uh, powered beings interact? Because there was a, there was a range of superpowers, very normal ones, um, and um, I'm interested to see what they do with the um, the speedy the speedy one, who is deaf and therefore. Uh, I believe they're going to actually be using sonic booms as a as a cool um, visual and audio effect in this film. So looking forward to seeing how they execute that. Okay, well, let's move on to what we've been watching. That's going to come out in a few months' time. Uh, James, I have a live stream that I watched this week. Wow. Because, you know, I'm very 2021. And not my one. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I did watch your Twitch stream on Friday, but uh, I'm not going to review that because it was it was just too chill and too enjoyable. Oh, but you've been watching... 10 out of chill. <laughs> You've been watching stuff. I want to hear the first movie you've uh, reviewed or you've seen because we have talked about this. We talked about the trailer when it came out. I'm intrigued to see what you thought. So hit us with it. I watched Jack Schneider's Army of the Dead. Oh, okay. This is on Netflix, right? Yeah, whose trailer promised us a heist movie set in a zombified um, Las Vegas. Yep. Uh, with like neon lights and saturated frames, zombie and tigers, colors, and and tigers, and a good a good wide cast, and some cool weapons. And I'll tell you, right. this film had an actual pile of ideas. I think they took every single idea from their brainstorming session and were like, "Hmm, uh-huh. let's 
put them all in the film. Right. And then they kind of forgot to execute on every single one of them. Ah, no. It was idea-heavy execution, like a classic Snyder mistake. I think he, along along with many other uh, well-known directors by name, need more no men in their group. They are surrounded by too many people who just say, yes, 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 yes. Okay. And we end up with just a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't pay off. And barely anything in the film paid off. I still enjoyed it. I turned my brain off. Right. And then I enjoyed it. I realized very early on, oh, all of this setup is too much setup. I need to not think about it. And as soon as I turned my brain off, I was just enjoying it. It was fine. So, um, so sorry. So what is it about the film that just doesn't work then? Is it just the fact that there's there's too much what exposition? There's too much background? What is it? They spend a lot of time gathering the troops. That's true. But that worked kind of well. Even um, digitally replaced actor fitting right right there. Tig Tig. I wasn't I wasn't complaining about that. They 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 did well. But right. Um, they spent all of this time building up the different characters and their dynamics, uh, their love for their weapons of specific kinds or their love for each other of specific <laughs> kinds. Okay. And they kind of forgot to actually delve into any of it at all. Right. Somebody's got this really cool saw, and I don't want to spoil a film, but it is a spoiler. They didn't use it. <laughs> they spent a lot of the film having him go... Uh, well, it's not a lot of the film. I spent a few minutes having him go and get his cool saw out from under the ground and then talk to people about it and tell people not to touch it. And then he never used it. Okay. You don't put a really cool zombie killing weapon in a zombie film and not have it kill a single zombie with the main, with the guy who owns the weapon. And, the, the, and the, we were promised a heist. And there was like five minutes of going down a booby-trapped corridor. <laughs> And not really any heisty feels. Uh, uh, there was these ref- there was references to like really cool zombie ideas of these like zombies that are just dehydrated outside and they only move when it's raining and then it never rains. So that was just a throwaway line. There was weird robot zombies that never got oh, explained. No. There was a there was a zombie pregnancy that never got explained <laughs> and delved into. And maybe it's like the seats for the next film and stuff that they're gonna do. Pun. But I, I could I could keep listing off things that didn't pay off. And things that did pay off is, is literally zero. They spend, and again, spoilers, skip, please. And Colin, I'm sorry if, I, if you don't want this film spoiled. They spend a lot of the film working towards saving some random person's life. Okay. Who then doesn't appear at the end of the film. They just kind of forget about them. <laughs> They're just gone. Do you think then that this film was drastically affected by the pandemic and had to reshoot and reshuffle things all over the place? I think it is very clearly a pandemic film, but it has also got a problem of too many ideas and they spend so much time setting up the ideas that there's no time to execute on them. And they're trying to add a whole bunch of weight to the story by setting deadlines and setting, making drama, but it's all cheap and it's not earned and nothing nothing gets time to develop. Um Although, like, the characters individually could have been so good if they were executed well, but they weren't. And there's really cool moments. There's this really cool, very prolonged one woman against a whole bunch of zombies fight scene where she is being a complete badass. Nice. And then you think, oh my goodness, that she, what a blaze of glory to go out in. Yep. And then she doesn't die. She appears. She bursts out of a window surrounded by zombies her mates are right there and i'm like oh my goodness she made it back to the crew and everybody's gonna kill the remaining zombies and save her and they just all watch her get torn apart (laughs) no they just stand 20 feet away like oh no and she's like you guys all leave and she doesn't even tell them 
the reason that she's in trouble is because she got betrayed by one of the other people in the crew. She's just like, oh, you guys all leave. And they spent two minutes just standing there watching her like do a final stand. And it just undid all the hard work of this badass right. fight scene because they just watch her die. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. So so in terms of a rating, what are we giving it? If you can turn your brain off and not care about all of that stuff I just mentioned, I'm giving it a, a six. Okay. Because Six. that's completely brain off. Right. If we're talking about a brain on film, it's a it's a it's a one. It's a zero. Maybe the visuals bring it up to a one. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you what I watched, which was the Devil Wears Prada Undead Stream, which is actually weirdly about zombies. So you know, we're great great minds, osmosis, all that stuff happening. Hey. So essentially, this is a band that I used to listen to in high school, who in 2011 released a five-track EP called Zombie. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, in 2021, when in the middle of a pandemic, they thought, hey, let's cash in on this and make a sequel called Zombie 2. Wow. And I tell you what, they'd only previewed one track before the stream, and uh, what they did was they played a few of their their big hits, and then they cracked into this new EP, playing Mm -hmm, these tracks mm -hmm. for the first time, it was beautifully shot. It was, I mean, it sounded fantastic. The band itself were really, really tight. And it just made me miss gigs because mm. I was sitting in my, my office slash studio just vibing. I was like, this is great. I'm loving this. It is a different mood, like a home gig. You, you can't really go wild. Yeah. But I like vibing at gigs anyway, so it works for me. There was some serious like foot tapping and, and like a, little, a very, very minor head banging going on, but yeah. there's only so much you can do. You can't just start, unless you're doing it for YouTube clicks, throwing furniture around the place and, <laughs> you know, drop kicking lamps in your yeah. bedroom. Yeah, 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 which, yeah, I, yeah. which I know people do, but that's because they want to get the YouTube money. They playing up, but yeah, they want the money. Yeah, yeah, that's not so, real. So I so I really, en- I did enjoy the show a lot. And <laughs> actually imagine if every time you listen to a good tune you broke your lamps <laughs> oh give, give it time if i get really desperate for you for online money i will yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i do only fans before i start breaking my own stuff but anyway <laughs> the the show was good maybe miss gigs i would be amazed if i get to a gig this year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, next year who's to say maybe we'll be back up and running by then but yeah good fun yeah I maybe it. we'll be gig friendly by then if you dear listener have finished or watched anything tv show film, a play, a live stream of a metalcore band that you used to listen to, you can review it and send it to us, ceaseoperate at gmail.com, as many of you have done in recent weeks. Thank you very much for doing that. James, you've got one more thing to review before we wrap up. Yeah, in the last week, I watched the entirety of the TV series Invincible on Amazon. Hey! Um, this is the animated superhero thing, which is takes superhero th- stuff and turns it on its head, which is kind of the new superhero film, where it's just the inverse <laughs> superhero film. Yeah. okay. Um... This is, a, uh, this is a very well-received and popular comic book uh, adaption. The original author of the comics is on the team, kind of like rewriting the story a little bit to try to make it friendly for TV. Uh, okay. Very much 18 plus, very gory. Um, overall, I'm going to give it a brain on six. Brain off probably a 10. It is very good TV. The way they tell their story, well executed. The characters, well done. The voice acting for a bunch of face talent, because it's a whole bunch of actual legit names mostly, rather than actual voice actors. Okay. It's it's well done. There are some hard carries. Um, Simmons, J.K. Simmons, um, does some of the best voice work I've heard in a long time. He really gets the emotion. Um, 
the story is 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 well is well executed with the ways it twists and brings characters uh, into the forefront, and then like obviously it has to kill off some of them and stuff like that. Um, the only major problem for me, as somebody who does watch quite a lot of animated media, is that the animation was just it's a bit flat. It was a bit lazy. Even the action scenes, they were lacking energy. There was just a lot of s- static shots and a lot of boring shots. Um, things were there. They could even just like pan, pan the scene a little bit and it would add a little bit of uh, feeling of progression and movement. There was a lot of uh, mistakes made with the animation in this. And I can get it. Animation is really hard, especially for a company like Amazon who's just fresh to it to try and find the right houses to to do all of this hard work animation. Um, but it wasn't all bad. Every now and then, all of these static, very little pencil mileage scenes paid off in some grand action piece that was actually well executed. So, okay, pretty good show. I recommend it if you're a fan of superhero films or, or series. I recommend it if you're a fan of the inverted superhero stuff with like, the, oh, the heroes are the bad guys uh, all along. Oh, no. Um, but only if you're into that kind of stuff. If you're a wee bit of a nerd. Okay, let's uh, finish up with the news that Charlie bit my finger. Yes, that YouTube video from 2007. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is being taken off YouTube because it's been sold mm-hmm. for over mm-hmm. half a million yep. pounds or over three quarters of a million dollars. Well done. Uh, so this this uh, clip of baby Charlie gnawing his brother's finger uh, was auctioned as an NFT, a non-fungible token. Yeah. And uh, apparently 3F Music outbid Meme Master for the video, which has been viewed over uh, 900 million times Had since been. it was on uh, YouTube. And if you click on the link just now, then I'm actually seeing if I can play it. Can I play it? Ew. I can. Oh, the video's still there. Oh, great. Okay, well, if you want to go and watch Charlie Bit My Finger one more time, yeah. it is still there. Uh, which is, yeah, a, a piece of internet history. Yep. James, what do you think of this this selling of art as I watch this video for, I don't know, the half dozenth time? Yeah, the whole NFT art thing still just feels completely token to me. It feels like people buying into a cult, in a sense. It feels like people buying into a thing that has no intrinsic value, in a sense. It feels like a scam. But for the memes, and um, the people who are featured in memes or have created memes who are, <laughs> who are getting to sell uh, their own work so much so many years later yeah i can see why they're doing it yeah this is easy money but it, it is it is a scam um, I, and in it you, you can't you can't own the video the video <laughs> the video got uploaded uploaded if it gets deleted and a new version gets given to you to upload you don't own it you own the your version of it even if an nft says you own it I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's how ownership transfer is online. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to me, NFTs still boggle the mind in that, <laughs> and I thought we've discussed this briefly before, people will say, right, you can own the Mona Lisa, uh, but only one person has the has the an original. You can buy like a print of it, you can buy a pretty good yeah. replica, but only one person has the original. The original, Whereas yeah. Whereas for this, for like a video, I could, I could download this video right now. It will be in exactly mm-hmm. the same quality as mm-hmm. when it was first uploaded. What's the difference? Yeah, and the and the other aspect of it is that the v- baked into this is that the person who holds the the token doesn't actually get the copyright, which I'm not sure how that if that works across the art world, but if it doesn't as well, the, the art world feels like a scam. 
I feel like if you if the a copyright remains with the original creator, what's the point of owning it? <laughs> yep. Right. So hey, scam. <laughs> Indeed, I completely agree. And on that note of scam, let's uh, end end the show. My voice is actually beginning scam. to go. That burns the world down. That burns the world down. It uses the blockchain. Stop using the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's wrap up. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can at ceaseoperate, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. And yeah, uh, I'm going to yeah. get something hot because I, funnily enough, James, picked up a cold last week from uh, from Graham's nieces. Oh, dear. First time I've had a cold in oh, dear. A, like 14 months. Was a, uh, just a nasty few days and I'm still on the mend. Ch- children, you should never trust children. <laughs> Indeed. Everyone else can have them and I'll hand them back at the end of the day unless they start giving me more infections. Yes. Right. Good chat. Yes. See you next week. Bye-bye, everyone.